Today's scripture reading, we have two. The first is from Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Our second scripture reading is from Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 to 30. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be in church with you this morning and to experience the joy of the Lord. We're thankful that our pastor, Michelle, has been able to take this past week off and enjoy some time of vacation, some rest and renewal, and we're looking forward to having her coming back with us this next week. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time of worship, for this Sabbath day where we can come and be before you. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to hear the word you have for each of us this day. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you indeed are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Time magazine is a news magazine I think that many of us have heard of over the years, and they still put out a weekly um, publication. And over the years that they've been in existence, there have been multiple times in which they have actually put Jesus on the front cover of Time. In 1971, they put Jesus on the front cover, and they had an opening story about him, and it began this way. It said, Wanted, Jesus Christ, alias the Messiah, the Son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, etc. Notorious leader of an underground liberation movement. Wanted for the following charges. Practicing medicine, winemaking, distributing food without a license. Interfering with businessmen in the temple associating with known criminals, radicals, subversives, prostitutes, and street people, 
claiming to have the authority to make people into God's children. Appearance. Typical hippie type, you know, back in that day. Long hair, beard, robe, sandals. Hangs around slum areas. Has few rich friends. Often sneaks out into the desert. Beware, this man is extremely dangerous. His insidiously inflammatory message is particularly dangerous to the young people who haven't been taught yet to ignore him. He changes men and claims to be able to set them free. Warning, he still is at large. This cover story begins with a description of Jesus that really kind of sounds like he's almost on the FBI's most wanted list. And yet we know that it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, tongue-in-cheek, but Jesus still calls his people today. And it's one example of sometimes how our society could view him. But we know that Jesus is indeed at large. He's still alive, right? He has been resurrected and with us today. So this morning, I want us to consider the identity of Jesus. Really, the royal question is highlighted in our scripture from Matthew, I'm sorry, from Mark, the gospel lesson. So why did I choose this particular passage? And as I've reflected on my own discipleship journey, um, I've realized that over the years, I'm still changing. I'm still growing as a disciple. I'm still learning to be a disciple. And certainly the many years, the 14 years I lived in Ghana, Africa, serving with my family there was a great training ground, a great training period. And the seeds that were planted even during those times are bearing fruit now in the work we continue to do there with our colleagues. And you know, what I've realized is that discipleship is a lifelong journey. It's, it's not a one and done decision that buys me a ticket to heaven. And it's not an optional thing as a Christ follower. It's a daily process of living and growing with Jesus, being in relationship with him, a transforming relationship that helps determine who we are as his children. And it's about giving my allegiance to him and remaining obedient to him. Over the past year, God's been teaching me about his gospel, Jesus' gospel of the kingdom of God in some new ways about being a disciple and how he expects me and all of us to be disciple makers. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And as you know, being a disciple is not easy. I mean, life is hard and there are challenges at times. It can be difficult. And there's always questions, lots of questions. Some people say that I ask a lot of questions. <laughs> and partly that may be because of my own curiosity or partly out of my own vocational experience. I have to ask a lot of questions as a physician. I want to know what's going on, and I'm trying to learn things, get answers that will help people or solve problems. So questions are good. 
Questions are good, and they help us to often find answers to some of life's most complex and challenging situations. And I believe as a follower of Jesus, there are two key questions in life. Two key questions in life. The first question is, who is Jesus? The second question is, what does he want to do with my life? And the answers to these two questions have the potential to open up a divinely ordained roadmap to life with a capital L and with the best tour guide you could ever imagine, Jesus himself. So who is Jesus? So this morning, in looking at that question, you know, at this point in time in the gospel lesson, it's about two-thirds into Jesus' ministry with his journey with the disciples. And it really marks a turning point in their life together and in Jesus' ministry. It's a question that Jesus asked his disciples back then and over these past 2,000 years, and it's a question that he asks all of us even today. So to recap that story and kind of put it in context, over the last two plus years, Jesus has been with his disciples. They have watched him and observed him in ministry, preaching to the crowds. He's been teaching in different ways through parables. He's also been healing people of various infirmities and afflictions and diseases. They've watched him perform miracles. They've even seen him have run-ins with the religious authorities of the day, particularly the Pharisees. And yet if we look just before our gospel passage, you'll see that Jesus is beginning to realize that the disciples don't fully understand things yet. The things they've seen the things they've heard, and what they remember. And it kind of brings it to a culmination here. And right before this passage even, we see that Jesus has healed a blind man, somebody who is physically blind. And yet there's a certain sort of blindness that the disciples have yet to see who he fully is. So at this point, Jesus goes up to Caesarea Philippi. It's about 25 miles north of Bethsaida where he healed the blind man. And it's the farthest point north in his ministry. And so what's interesting is that he's no longer being in the area of Galilee where it's typically a little more friendly. This is a, a different place. Again, another example of this being a turning point in Jesus' journey with his disciples. And so... It, in that turning point is the transition of what is yet to come, which is when Jesus is going to be heading towards Jerusalem, where there will be stern opposition, where he will meet his death, but then be resurrected. So on their journey, Jesus raises the question of his identity with his disciples. He wants to know from them what the common views are of him. What do people say about me? Who do they say that I am? And as we've heard, you know, some say, well, you're, he's John the Baptist, or 
he's Elijah or maybe one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asks the key question to his disciples. He says, but who do you, who do you say that I am? An impetuous, lovable Peter comes up and I believe speaks for the whole group and says, you are the Christ. When we look at this parallel passage in the Gospel of Matthew, Peter responds by not only saying you are the Christ, but you are the Son of God. To the Jews during Jesus' day, this declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is a huge claim. It literally means the anointed one, the king, the one promised of God in the royal line of David, the Messiah. And generations of Jews have been waiting for over 1,400 years for a rescuer. Even since the time of Moses, we read in Deuteronomy where God told him that he would raise up a prophet like him. And so the Jews have been waiting for such a person. In our vernacular, we would say we're looking for a, a superhero, somebody to come and vindicate the people. That's what they were looking for. Somebody to come and conquer their enemies and somebody to come and establish a new kingdom. They weren't expecting a Messiah or a Christ that was a suffering servant or a forgiving king. That's not what they had in mind. Lois Trerberg is a scholar who has extensively studied the Jewish background of Christianity in a number of her books. And in her book, Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, How the Jewish Words of Jesus Can Change Your Life, she comments by saying this about Jesus' gospel message in the first chapter of uh, Mark. She writes, to Jesus' Jewish audience, to proclaim the kingdom of God was to make a shocking announcement that God's promised Messiah had arrived because the task of the Messiah was to establish God's kingdom on earth. Jesus was making an earth-shattering claim that he was the Christ and that God's redemption of the world would come through him. To them, this was shocking. This was earth-shattering. And what's interesting, when you study the scriptures in the New Testament, New Testament, you'll realize that Jesus embraced the title of the Christ. When you look, for example, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 to 5, Jesus said, see to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. Or in Mark Chapter 14, verses 61 to 62. Towards the end of Jesus' life, the high priest. Now, this is the high priest, the highest religious authority in Jerusalem. The high priest is talking to him, and it goes on. The high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. 
And he goes on to say, And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus embraces his identity as the king. He owns it. He never denies it. Now, he didn't come and showcase it and say, Hey, everybody, I'm here. I'm the king. I'm your Messiah. (laughs) But gradually, over time, he announced it and acknowledged it. So what would it mean for people today to answer that same question as disciples here, if Jesus was with us and asked us, who do people say that I am? I mean, if you went out on the street to Mishawaka or here in South Bend and asked that of people, what kind of responses would you get? We heard from Becky's response this morning one time, don't know. Who is Jesus? I experienced that even working in Ghana up in the north, trying to reach people with the gospel there. Never heard of Jesus. Who is he? Is he from the next village? (laughs) It's not that much different sometimes, even in our own backyard. And sometimes people think Jesus Christ, well, Christ is the last name of Jesus, but it's the title. It's the title, the king, the anointed one. But since we live in the information age, we have it pretty easy. We can get online. We can get on the internet. We can go to Google. And if you Google, who is Jesus according to the world, you're going to get 200 million responses in less than a second. We could also go to Facebook and put a poll out there and find out what do people think. Would it surprise you if people said that, well, he's a nice guy, this Jesus, or he's a good leader, he's a great teacher, he's an example of love. Or maybe in describing some of his attributes, they would say, he's gentle, he's kind, Some have even said he's fun. Even some of our celebrities have enjoyed certain ones wearing T-shirts. And this used to be a craze I've heard in the past. I was in Ghana. I didn't see it. (laughs) But T-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. I don't know exactly what that means, but what it tells me is that I can make Jesus into whatever I want him to be and that the world doesn't fully know him. But what about us? What does scripture tell us? What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? It means that Jesus rules now as a forgiving king and that he's building his kingdom. It means that Jesus' kingdom gospel is inviting us to turn our minds and our lives toward him, to believe in him and to follow him. And it means that Jesus' arrival on earth gave us access to experience the kingdom of God now, not just sometime in the future, but now. 
He's come not just to pardon my sin that so someday I can go to heaven. He's come to offer eternal and abundant life as his children so that we may love him and live like him and even make disciples like him. C.S. Lewis was a well-known British author of many fantasy books, uh, including the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if many of you have come across those or read those. I remember enjoying reading them to my daughter years ago. The Magician, or I'm sorry, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is one of the, the better known ones. But before C.S. Lewis became converted, I mean, after C.S. Lewis became converted to Christianity, he was a lay theologian, if you will, and an apologist for Christ. And in his book, Mere Christianity, he, he pondered this question that we're considering today, who is Jesus? And he came up, or I should say narrowed down the possibilities. He said that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. And he writes in Mere Christianity, he says, Let us not say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus asks us the same royal question he did to his first disciples. Who do you say that I am? Is Jesus a cosmic genie who's there to give me every wish that I want? Or a Santa Claus to, to give me gifts if I'm a good boy or a good girl? Is he my homeboy? Another way to look at it, and probably to put it in more practical terms, is what would the people around me say? What about my family, my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors, those who I spend time with in hobbies or activities together? Would they know through my words and my actions that Jesus is the king of my life? Not that I simply have chosen to come to worship in church every week or to be a good person, but by the way that I live, 
by the way I spend my money and by how I love others. Who is Jesus to you? Knowing Jesus as king is fundamental to being a disciple. Knowing Jesus as king is essential to having a personal relationship with him, one that, as I said earlier, really transforms us into knowing our own identity as a child of God. And it's crucial in a lifelong journey that together with Jesus, we help to advance his kingdom. It's my hope that we will continue to ponder and pray over this royal question. Who do you say that I am? And that in our own lives, we will be able to experience turning points that draw us into ever deepening relationship with Jesus on a daily basis. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is our King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who guides and directs us who helps transform us into being more like Jesus. Lord, may your Holy Spirit draw us ever more closely in allegiance to him as we remain obedient to him. Help us to be effective ambassadors of your kingdom and help us to make the reign of God present to those around us. For we ask this in the name of Jesus the Christ, our Lord and Savior, for the sake of his kingdom. Amen.